What happens when work is purposeful? Impact happens, needles move, and we build better. I'm Elena Kersey, and welcome to The Purpose Effect, the podcast where you learn how to create work lives of purpose from the women who are doing it. We want to provide to everyone's sweet occasions um, something that's actually adding value to your health and that tastes delicious. The goal would be for, in the future, everyone to have access to healthy sweetness, in it, whether it be a finished product or an ingredient. And even in restaurants, we've worked with some Michelin-starred pastry chefs using our sweet mix, and they're like blown away by how it replicates the taste and texture of sugar. We would love to be able to go to any restaurant and be able to have a sugar-free dessert that actually tastes amazing and, and is healthy. We really want to replace sugar globally. We all know that sugar isn't exactly the healthiest option for us. We know that it's linked to diabetes and obesity and that it's bad for our teeth. But how bad for us is it really? Too much fructose, which is the component of sugar that tastes sweet, is also linked to the development of metabolic syndrome and potentially even to gut or autoimmune disorders. I've been conscientiously substituting table sugar with what I thought were healthier options, dates, manuka honey, but these options still contain fructose, so may not be quite as healthy as I thought. So what are our options? Is truly healthy sweetness possible? Or at best, are there healthier options? It turns out there are. Nature has gifted us with sweet ingredients that are actually health neutral or health beneficial. It's almost like nature is like, here's something sweet that you can have instead of sugar that actually counteracts all the harms of sugar. That was Sakiko Reutuschuld, the founder of Nomosu, which is an abbreviation of No More Sugar. And she is on a mission to make sweetness healthy. We talk about her journey, which saw her leave a career in finance to develop honestly sugar-free, delicious sweet treats. We talk about not just the health impacts of sugar, but the environmental impacts of it also. And what excited me most about this conversation, we talk about the future of sweet. But first of all, a reminder, the information in this episode is not dietary or nutrition advice. And in fact, we specifically talk about how important personalized nutrition is. So if personalized nutrition advice is what you're after, then please speak to a health professional. Now, let's get started and find out how Sakiko began this mission in the first place. You know, your well-being and your health can be sort of mildly going downhill a bit and you don't really notice that much. But then when you make a change, you notice how, how vastly improved your well-being and health can suddenly be. Um, so that's what happened to me. I just started having more sugar in my diet inadvertently. I went to a personal trainer to do some more gym training and he asked me to do food log and he pointed out to me that I'm having far too much sugar. And I was surprised because I thought I had a healthy diet reasonably. And actually most of the sugar was coming from dried fruit, low fat yogurt, sweetened with fruit jams or whatever. And a lot of like sweet fruits, like very ripe pears, grapes, and so on. And so before this period, I really thought that sugar was simply excess calories, like neutral, right. empty calories uh, with no like micronutrient value or anything. But then I started reading a bit more about, about sugar, about sucrose, about fructose, and I was blown away by the fact that it really is a sort of chronically toxic ingredient to have too much of in our mm -hmm. diet. Um, and I was surprised that I didn't really know this. Um, and 
And then I decided to do this sugar-free experiment for three weeks, no sugar whatsoever, no fructose, no fruit, nothing sweet, essentially. Um, And even after a few days and after a couple of weeks, I I never felt better in my entire life. And I, I suppose most of us have, or I did anyway, have sugar in my life daily since I was an infant. (laughs) And so going without it for a couple of weeks, like completely without it, it led me to a new level of energy, sustained energy, like massive skin improvement, massive like well-being improvement. I frankly felt joyful every day. I didn't have the mid-morning, mid-afternoon slumps in energy anymore. It it was really a revelation and I felt so good and I didn't want to go back to how I felt before. (laughs) But um, I did miss um, chocolate. And I, I grew up in Belgium. Chocolate is a staple of the diet there. Um, and, and things like that. I miss sweet things. So that's when I began my research journey into, you know, is it possible to have healthy sweetness? Um, and is it possible to have healthy sweetness? I mean, first of all, let's talk about whether or not it's possible to have healthy sugar, because I've always thought that some sugars are worse than others. The diet that you just described to me with lots of dried fruit and, you know, lots of sweet fruits, that's very similar to what I eat. I don't eat a lot of candy or desserts necessarily, but I do eat a lot of fruit and mango and grapes (laughs) and these very sweet fruits. So how bad for you is sugar really? So when we talk about sugar, yeah, it's, it's helpful to define it. Some people talk about carbohydrates in general as sugar, which is confusing. When I talk about sugar, I talk about the sweet things and the sweet things are made up of a combination of fructose and glucose usually. Fructose is the sweet component. So for example, white rice um, is purely glucose. It's not sweet, so it's got like pretty much no fructose in it. You can tell how much fructose is in the item by how sweet it is. So if you have a very ripe brown banana, it has more fructose in it than a green new banana. Glucose is pretty much in everything, anything from broccoli to tomatoes. To, it's not only in pasta and uh, refined grains. Glucose is in everything. Fructose is what we want to avoid excess amounts of. For example, dried fruit, as you can tell by the sweetness, mm-hmm. has a lot more fructose generated in it than uh, green apple, for example. So, so you can't really generalize about fruit. I would categorize dried fruit really kind of in the candy category. Like dates, for example, have like 70% sugar, like fructose. Um, So they're very sweet. You can tell. Yes, they do have some fiber, but it doesn't compensate for the vast amounts of fructose that they have. Then you have fresh fruit. Fresh fruit tends to have more water, more fiber, also micronutrients that are beneficial. Um, You can, again, tell by the sweetness level, like what's the trade-off. So for example, grapes are quite low in fiber, quite high in fructose, quite sweet. Whereas raspberries or blackberries are quite high in fiber, polyphenols, beneficial nutrients, and not that sweet usually, um, so not that much fructose. I wouldn't say any sugar in our modern diet is necessary or healthy, but as part of the package of a micronutrient dense, you know, wild blueberries or something, then fine, you know, but it's not the sugars that is adding value, it's the micronutrients. So basically when it comes to fruit, um, if you want to eat a lot of fruit, which does have value, try and eat less of the really sweet ones and more of the 
the less sweet ones. Yeah, less sweet and fiber, like green apples with the skin on and so on. Also, like we always talk about individual molecules like as if that's how we eat, but we actually eat maybe a lunch and then we have a dessert, like a fruit as a dessert. And maybe in our lunch, we have a lot of fiber from lots of vegetables and salad and so on. That lunch that we have before that dessert is going to make a difference to if we simply had that dessert on its own without eating anything before it. Um, so, so that's another consideration is like having definitely have your dessert after your meal, not before, uh, not on an empty stomach, etc. So. Right. So the combination of how we eat our food is also yes. important. But how right. bad really is the sugar for us health wise and, and why are we eating so much of it? For example, one simple fact, you know, is that for many years since between the 70s until the like early 2000s, we really thought that we should avoid saturated fat. And that's the only thing we needed to worry about, avoiding saturated fat. And, and, you know, there's a lot of information about this now available on the web. You can, you can look at the whole history and why that started. It's a correlation of obesity, the increase in obesity and diabetes from that point on is just you know, skyrocketing when we started reducing saturated fat, because what happened instead is, is we just switched to sugar and the food companies switched to sugar. So fat-free, fat-free products full of sugar. Um, and now we have like a diabetes, obesity, metabolic syndrome epidemic. And fructose is quite inflammatory. There are studies uh, linking it to leaky gut. So um, increasing the permeability of your intestine. And whenever you have increased permeability of your intestine, you have a more chance of autoimmune conditions developing because most of your immune cells are lining the the outside of the tube, waiting for things to enter that are not good that they then sort of uh, deal with. And that is the inflammatory response of the immune system, which is healthy when there's a pathogen and so on. But if you have a, a leaky intestine, then things are getting through that are not fully metabolized, not fully digested, and that can trigger this immune reaction to them, which is justified, <laughs> but that immune reaction can can happen too much. And, and you might, for example, suddenly become allergic to eggs, even though uh, there's nothing wrong with the egg. So that's like the, the, the root cause of a lot of autoimmune conditions. Yeah, this is fascinating. I find all of this recent research into the gut and how important the gut is in our overall health, just fascinating. But I want to go back to your own sugar-free journey and what you learned in the process. So after you went on this sort of three-week sugar-free cleanse, did you notice a difference in how you felt immediately? And what happened next? What was the sort of scientific journey of discovery you went on? Because I know you then took on further qualifications to understand more about what was happening in your body. Yes. Initially, I just did my own research going uh, after my day job in uh, the city. I went to the British Library in London every evening and just spent a couple of hours researching the food science journals and medical journals um, about sugars mainly initially, and then about all these different sweet ingredients that exist out there and natural and artificial. And so as I sort of started doing that, I concluded, oh, there are some sweet ingredients that are natural as well that actually are health neutral or even health beneficial. Started experimenting with those, started making some originally sugar-free cookies, mm -hmm. gluten-free cookies, sugar-free as well, um, et cetera. And then this sort of started to develop, to develop into kind of like a business idea. And, and the reason I even bothered to do that is simply because I couldn't find products that I could buy. I, I went to Whole Food. I, I looked for honestly sugar-free products. All of them were 
basically refined sugar-free. Okay. Um, But on the back, it's still like 70% sugar (laughs) per 100 grams. They were just filled with um, dates or coconut sugar, which biochemically are identical. Yes, uh, honey as well. Honey is about 70% fructose usually. So um, yeah, I I was disappointed with that. And then the other alternative online, I could find artificially sweetened um, sugar-free products. I had nothing against synthetic sweeteners per se, until I started reading the research on on each one. And it's not that they all cause cancer or anything dramatic as that. It's just that each one, when I really dove into the research, I was not pleased. I didn't want to eat that. Mm -hmm. So so that's why I started experimenting, making my own um, products. And then when I started doing that and developing this into business, I felt like, okay, if I'm going to make a health food business that's really genuinely healthy then I need to know everything I can, as much as I can. So I found the most rigorous master's in science degree that I could take that is focused on uh, personalized nutrition. So it's about personalization of nutrition and it's based on the approach of functional medicine, which is quite like a holistic approach. It takes into account, uh, you know, modern medicine, <laughs> medications if need be, um, and a, a very holistic diet and lifestyle focused approach. On, on treating, preventing chronic disease and so on. I really wanted to study what was the most up-to-date science on nutrition. Yeah. And as I did my research, uh, what really resonated with me was the Institute of Functional Medicine and their um, their way of doing things, their research. It also resonated with me that personalization of nutrition is really important. I knew a little bit about genetics and so on. So not only about genetics, is, is really to treat individuals you should consider personalization. Can we talk about that a little bit more, the personalization aspect of nutrition? Because you've said, obviously, we need to look at the Mm -hmm. individual when we're figuring out how to treat them and there is potentially an ideal nutrition for you, but it's more than just genetics. So what else comes into play? What are the other things that might differentiate what I can eat, for example, compared to what you can eat? So your genetics is one point and then your actual biology at this present day. Okay. Um, so, So that we would identify by functional testing, blood testing, what are your, you know, vitamin D levels? You know, what are your blood lipid levels? There are lots of biomarkers you can look at for a person to determine, you know, roughly what is their health at this point in time. And and it might be for you that you have very low vitamin D levels and maybe someone who is very similar to you, similar health conditions, they have fine vitamin D mm-hmm. levels. So we don't need to worry about that for them. So, so just functional testing, uh, metabolic testing about how your status is as an individual right now would determine... A different protocol for what you want to achieve. Okay. And then to go back to trying to formulate an honestly sugar-free product, how did you do that? What was the sweetness that you decided to, to substitute? Yes. So I was very agnostic and open-minded about any sweetener out there that wasn't fructose or sucrose, basically sugar. <laughs> so um, I read you know, a lot of papers and a lot of food science journals. So in the sort of industry section and in the medical section also. So um, I crossed out the artificial sweeteners, not because of a sort of religious uh, point of view about them being man-made, but simply because I didn't like the science about them. And then I discovered that there are some natural sweet ingredients. The fact that they're natural wasn't even that important to me, but that they're healthy or health neutral. So stevia is a plant. The leaves are very sweet um, and it's not a sucrose fructose. It's not a like a sugar. Uh, 
Another one is monk fruit extract, mm-hmm. which has very similar sweet molecule to the stevia sweet molecule. So monk fruit extract. Then there is erythritol, which sounds like a funny name, but actually it's found in abundance in nature. It's a natural byproduct of fermentation. Okay. So it'll be in fermented food products um, like tamari soy sauce, for example. It's found there just naturally. It's also found in some fresh products like mushrooms and some uh, fruits and vegetables. And then there is xylitol, which comes from the birch tree usually. Um, and that is also a sweet ingredient found in nature that is not sucrose or fructose. Some of it, like I think it's about 60% of that, does break down into glucose. But again, remember uh, what I'm trying to avoid mostly is fructose. So it's not a big deal. But that's why xylitol has some calories. It is metabolized to energy. And then the last one that I'm still um, wanting to see more research on, but seems great, is allulose, which is kind of a new one. It's found in relatively small quantities in nature. Um, it seems to have really quite strong blood glucose lowering effects, okay. um, but I, I haven't seen any medical papers really describing the pathway by which it has those blood glucose lowering effects. And I really prefer to understand like the whole metabolic pathway of something and the mechanisms by which it works or has effects. So, so far, you know, it sounds good. Um, it does have a strong browning effect when you bake with it and so on. So I'm on the fence with allulose, but sound, it seems, seems, seems okay. Those are the five sweet ingredients. <laughs> okay. And of these five, what are you using in Nomosu products? Yeah. So this goes into how we can replace sugar effectively. First of all, we need to take a step back and like, why are we replacing sugar? (laughs) Because we want to have a healthier product Mm -hmm. that still tastes sweet. Um, So it needs to be healthy and taste good and taste sweet. So that's why I chose to use a combination of ingredients. And this combination of ingredients is stevia. Just to mention those five that are, that are sweet, uh, ingredients that are healthy. Stevia and monk fruit extract have a very powerful sweetening power. So they're much sweeter than sugar. So you can't just throw them in a recipe to replace sugar. Um, so, so that's why they're often find in combination with one of these other one, five ones that I mentioned, especially erythritol. Erythritol, just to mention, I told you it's found in nature and so on, but just its metabolic pathway is that it's a tiny molecule. Um, it doesn't have any calories because it's not metabolized as energy. It simply washes straight through you. 95% washes straight through you and goes out in urine, basically has no metabolic impact. Um, 5% of it is metabolized sort of by the um, uh, gut microbiota, which they metabolize a lot of things that we eat. So it's really like a health neutral thing. There are some studies showing that it deters bad bacteria in the, in the mouth. So it's actually used in chewing gum and toothpaste because of that benefit. But, um, uh, so, so yeah. So erythritol is about 60% as sweet as sugar. Sorry, this gets all really kind of technical, but it's good to dive in. So, um, that's why if you have a, if you have a product that's only sweetened with erythritol, they're going to use a lot of it because it's only 60% as sweet as sugar. Um, and the consequence of that is that it has a little bit of a cooling minty effect, a cooling effect in the mouth, which is not very nice when you don't really want that unless it's like a a peppermint or something. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. So that's why the combination of that with uh, stevia is is a nice kind of helps with the sweetness, rounding it out. And so we used organic stevia and we use organic erythritol and we use also some fibers, prebiotic fibers. So there's chicory fiber, inulin. Inulin is a type of fiber that's good for the gut microbiome. It's a prebiotic Mm -hmm. fiber. Um, And that is mildly sweet from a bit of glucose in there. So 
So those, that kind of rounds out the sweetness even more. So you create like this texture and sweetness experience that is actually beneficial for your mm-hmm. gut and, and tastes good. And the other key to Nomosu is that it really matters like your ingredients, where they come from, which most people uh, get in, in most foods. <laughs> uh, but somehow with, when we sell like a package thing, like an ingredient, we think it's always the same. Like table sugar, it really is like a commodity. It's sucrose, it's 50% glucose and fructose. So it's like always the same. But uh, stevia, um, it turns out that uh, most companies, except one company, extract from the plant with chemicals. And that's okay. Health-wise, it's fine. Um, it, it, but it does change the shape of the sweet molecule. Uh, and that different shape has a different reaction with your cell's sweet taste receptors, turns out. Um, and kind of because of that specific reaction with your cell's sweet taste receptor, it gives a long, funny, unpleasant chemical kind of aftertaste. Okay. The company we use has created a system that is just using water. It's a physical extraction, very high-tech filters and membranes and water only. And that results in a different structure of the sweet molecule. Mm-hmm. And that different, uh, more natural structure, actually, um, combined with the different ingredients we use for sweetness that I just mentioned, has a natural reaction with your cell sweet taste receptors. And we do research on cell taste receptors. We actually can see these dynamics. Yeah. And that explains why people are blown away by how our our products taste naturally sweet and pleasant. Um, and our 72% dark chocolate, for example, um, won an International Chocolate Academy Awards. It's the only sugar-free chocolate ever to win, competing with like 1,600 bars from around the world that wow. are all with sugar. I don't think we could do that if we were just using like a typical um, stevia extract or not doing this cell research on taste receptors. Is that why many other brands, even ones that describe their products as as low sugar or natural sugar or healthy sugar or or however else they describe themselves, is this why they're not using stevia? Because most of the stevia on the market is chemically processed and therefore has this uh, strange aftertaste that it doesn't taste as good? I think that is the case, um, that all these other companies, it's only one company that does the water purification I did go through all of the, I tried many samples of stevia that I didn't like the taste of. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one reason, I believe. And then the other reason is um, not good application. As I mentioned, it needs to be combined in specific ratios with specific other ingredients to create a nice impact with your sweet taste receptors. You need to have that um, scientific research to really create a delicious taste. Mm -hmm. And what about the environmental impacts of both sugar, table sugar, and stevia, what are some of the environmental issues around the production of both of those products? So when we're, when we're out there shopping and looking for sugar products, we can also make decisions that are more planet-friendly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually did a deep dive research into this, and actually I, I calculated that the sugar industry, whether it's uh, a combination of beet sugar, cane sugar, and sugar from corn, like mm-hmm. high fructose corn syrup and so on, contributes about 1% to all global carbon dioxide equivalent emissions. Wow. Like 1%, like just the sugar industry, which is quite a lot, actually. And not only because sugar cane is burnt for harvest, typically, um, and that even that locally releases a lot of nitric oxide emissions and people in the local area get all kinds of uh, lung issues because of that um, harvesting. It's also a monocrop where there is no other flora and fauna. I've seen the sugarcane plantations. They're quite 
near the cacao plantations we go to, whereas the cacao is this amazing biodiverse ecosystem. The sugar cane fields are just dead fields of these canes. And so the main two impacts from the switching to stevia, for example, is that stevia, as I mentioned, is about 300 times as sweet as sugar. So you need a lot less to sweeten the same amount of products. And so you need a lot less land area. So it's much more efficient, like 30 times more efficient per hectare of sweetening power. And then the other point is you don't burn stevia for harvest and it's actually a carbon capturing plant. Okay. So it's it's like, yeah, you get two major ecological benefits um, from switching away from sugarcane. Also sugarcane um, and the sugar industry in general has a lot of runoff and has a lot of uh, pollution of ocean and freshwater environments. So because of the amount of research that you guys are doing into sugar and making a sweet, a sweetness, which is a true replacement, tastes as good as table sugar. How much more difficult is that from a cost, but also supply chain issue? Does that mean that Nomosu is significantly more expensive or more difficult to scale than other products? Mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So, so it depends. Um, if you're looking at a, um, at a product as a whole, like a, a cake or a chocolate or so on, it's still relatively small amounts of these. So as a proportion of the overall cost of the product, like by weight, you know, most of the weight of the product that we have now, our first line of products are chocolates, organic sugar-free chocolates. It's still coming from the cacao. So the mm-hmm. big cost driver for us is the organic ingredients, particularly the cacao. Um, so switching, you know, away from sugar, yes, sugar is much cheaper than these the combination of sweet ingredients I mentioned. But in the grand scheme of things, you know, it, it's not a, a game changer as such. Um, so, so that's I think something to keep in mind when people say, "Oh, well, stevia is much more expensive than cane sugar," but actually, in the whole cost of your cake or your brownie or your so on you know, you're still the main weight of that product is not coming from the sweetness is coming from um, those other ingredients. Okay. Um, So yes, our products are more expensive, but I would say it's primarily because they're organic certified and the whole supply chain is organic certified for each ingredient rather than simply because we're using um, stevia and, and, and not sugar. And they're not just organic, right? They're also sustainably sourced. That's yes. a big part of your mission. Yeah, yeah. So, so Rainforest Alliance certified cacao, um, you know, the farmers get a fair pay. I've spoken with the farmers themselves. They're like so happy they switched from sugarcane to planting organic uh, Rainforest Alliance certified cacao. They live in this beautiful biodiverse forest because cacao requires different types of trees and different types of species of flora and fauna to, to do well. And they make double what they used to make on sugarcane. So I think when we're looking at food prices, of course, it's easy to say, but like, I think a lot of food is, is undervalued and, yeah. and especially in its medicinal impact for your long-term health. I, I really believe food is medicine and you might say, oh, I don't want to pay extra for these things now, but you know, you might be saving yourself from medical costs in the future if you eat really well. Yeah. yeah. I think it's such a challenge, right? Because we have now been conditioned over the past, I don't know, 70 years to expect food to be cheap. Well, not necessarily really cheap, but we're ex- we expect to pay a certain price for food, even imported foods, because yeah. that's what the food industry has created for us. But I think now, mm-hmm. you know, we're starting to recognize the implication of the way we make food, how damaging it is, not just to our health, but also to our environment. But how difficult is it for 
other brands to make the shift to um, more sustainable, more ethical, and more healthy food because this needs to be mainstream. It needs to be, for, for us to really realize the positive impacts on our health and also the planet, creating food this way needs to be mainstream. So what can mm. be what can be done to make the whole mm. food supply chain and ecosystem healthier so that more brands are doing what Nomosu is doing? Mm. Yeah, so it's a big, a big topic, a big question, um, and and it's it's very challenging because you know I guess it was really like started after the world wars um, that, that you know the whole goal was like increased calorie output of farming. You know we need to mm-hmm. you know stop global hunger by providing more calories, more calories. But you end up with a, quite a few people who are really severely deficient in essential micronutrients that really cause them to, that deficiency causes them to be very ill. And yet maybe they have enough calories and you can have someone who's actually overweight and actually completely undernourished in, a t- yeah. in terms of essential micronutrients, essential fatty acids, et cetera. Um, so, so I think every brand like setting out to create health food products should really think about the the value that they're creating in terms of like micronutrient uh, additional value. And, and I, and I hope that that doesn't necessarily have to be expensive. It's just like the, the, the whole industrial food complex has been focused on generating loads of calories, you know, and, and that essentially has been carbohydrates because that's the sort of cheapest I guess to generate. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that's important. And then also, I, I think there's a lot of debate about you know what types of protein sources we should have and 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 what is the most eco ecologically friendly thing to do. And yeah, I, I, I think that that needs to be considered more deeply um, right now. I think it's a bit like black and white thinking. Like, okay, like if we just stop having uh, beef, then that would be great. And that's not necessarily so. Um, but if you look at all the research from it ecological perspective and, and it's quite complex and you and and so maybe we can be a bit more open-minded to being you know having micronutrient dense not necessarily huge volumes of food or calories and and how do we create food products that are really helping people get their essential there are things in our uh, food that we must get for for food that we cannot survive with and we cannot generate on our own we cannot make vitamin c any uh, on our mm-hmm. own we cannot make omega-3 fatty acids on our own we, we need to get certain things from foods and if food companies really think about what people need from foods i think i think that that will be helpful and with less focus on these macronutrients like yeah carbs fat sugar you know yeah <laughs> yeah a bit more detailed thinking would be good so with all that in mind what in your mind is the future of sweetness? Because when you mentioned that to me, I was hugely ex- interested and excited about what the future of sweetness could look like without glucose and, well, not without glucose. No. Let me get my terminology <laughs> right. Without too much fructose. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think it's really interesting. And uh, there's a couple of things to just make sure to note. Like there's been a lot of debate about like, oh, if I taste something sweet, doesn't that trigger my insulin, trigger my blood glucose, do all these bad things. It turns out that there are things that are sweet and they're not all the same on a molecular or biochemical level. Right. So as I mentioned, stevia is very sweet. The leaves are very sweet there and, and it's not a fructose, you know, um, and then there's, you know, dried fruit, very sweet. It's because of the fructose. So if you really need to look at like, what is this composed of? And, um, and just because it's sweet 
doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. And I, I really wasn't sure about this until I really dove into the research. So there's this, uh, you know, debate. Everyone says sugar is addictive, sugar is addictive. A primary mechanism for that um, is that fructose is one of the few things that we eat that actually increases our hunger hormone and actually kind of reduces the effectiveness or sensitivity of our fullness hormone. Okay. So it actually makes us more hungry the more fructose you have. So you can have like a, a jug of uh, apple juice and, you know, not feel that full. You can't do that with milk, for example. So when we say addictive, I think we have to be... Um, careful of course then there's the like hedonic kind of addiction and so on but for example they did a study um relatively recently um an animal study but um they where they knocked out the taste receptors which means that they couldn't taste the sweetness and it, they were giving the artificial sweetener sucralose and also a in a drink and another drink with with uh i believe it was i don't know if it was sucrose or glue, but basically sugar drink and these these mice couldn't taste the sweetness, right? Um, uh, so they did they did the test when they could taste the sweetness and when they couldn't. When they could taste the sweetness, they went for both drinks kind of equally, um, and then they started drinking more from the sugar sugar drink um, more than the sucrose, which makes sense because um, that has energy calories, whereas sucrose doesn't. Um, so and then uh, when they knocked out the taste ability to taste the sweetness, they still went for the glucose drink more, mm-hmm. much more because in their gut, they had sensor, they have sensors. We have sensors uh, that oh, this is an energy source. I'm going to go for this. So it's not all about sweetness, you know, in the mouth, like that is the most relevant thing. And in fact, it's very clear that for example, stevia does not trigger a blood glucose response and it, and an insulin response. So that's another debate out there. And actually fructose doesn't trigger a big blood glucose response either. <laughs> so okay. it's a bit confusing. So, so people focus a lot on blood sugar in the acute phase of just eating something, mm-hmm. but fructose over time makes you less insulin sensitive, okay. basically more insulin resistant. And over time, it'll make you have higher blood glucose peaks in response to food and, you know, go down the route towards diabetes if you have a lot of fructose in your diet. Um, so, so acutely you won't see the blood glucose spike on your blood glucose monitor. Um, and that's why it's like some companies say like, oh, we sweeten coconut sugar. It doesn't give you as high a blood glucose response. That's because it's more fructose than table sugar, which is why I'm totally avoiding that. Yeah. So, so it's, it's really like kind of a complicated thing. So basically sweet taste in the mouth does not equal evil. Like it's, it's just a sweet taste in the mouth. Depends on what it's made of, whether it's good for you over time or not. Um, so there is healthy sweetness. It is possible to have sweetness in your life, in desserts and chocolates um, that, that is actually health neutral or even health beneficial. So the future of sweetness, I would say, is two points. Is one, we, there are, nature has gifted us with sweet ingredients that are actually health neutral or health beneficial. I didn't talk very much about stevia um, health benefits, but really the scientific research is fascinating and it actually backs up the indigenous use of it as a medicinal plant to treat people with high blood pressure and high blood sugar. Um, I don't know how they figured that out, but the, uh, there are mechanistic studies. So that's what I like, mechanistic studies explaining exactly how it works. Basically, if you gave someone with uh, insulin resistance or prediabetes, like a bowl of white rice, let's say, their blood glucose will spike. If you give that same bowl of rice with stevia in it, the blood glucose will spike 30% less area under the curve. Oh, wow. So that's um, really significant. But if you have normal metabolic condition and you don't have prediabetes, it's not going to sink your blood glucose either. So it's like an adaptogen in that way. Then there are many other studies about um, stevia having antioxidant effects and also uh, very interesting studies that it 
improves muscle glycogen synthesis. So your the ability of your muscles to create glycogen, which is actually kind of a, a focus of study of where does insulin resistance begin. And one of the earliest points you can see it is in muscle cells. So the fact that stevia is actually helping muscle cells to use glucose properly and create glycogen, it's almost like nature is like, here's something sweet that you can have instead of sugar that actually counteracts all the harms of sugar. So eat this, eat this one. Yeah, exactly. So I'm saying that the the future of sweetness is healthy. Um, I think all sweetness in the future can be health neutral or health beneficial. um, And that it's not going to be one ingredient that replaces sugar. It's going to be a combination of these ingredients and healthy fibers and so on to create the same taste, texture, uh, feeling of sugar that actually benefit you. Um, and and we, we need to think broader minded about the whole food that we're creating and eating, not just like, I'm going to replace sugar with this ingredient and this is the solution to sugar. Yeah. Are other companies and other um, businesses doing what you're doing in terms of researching how to make a, a sweet product which feels like sugar without using fructose? Yes. So my uh, partner and co-founder, and he, he works, he has worked with a lot of big food companies, drink companies as well. And, and we, we interact a lot with them and so on. And, and yeah, there are definitely companies doing research on how to reduce the sugar in their existing products or almost put it to zero. And um, they're using some of the ingredients that I mentioned, but none of them, as far as we know or see, are doing cell taste receptor research um, to really see the taste dynamics at the cellular receptor level. And uh, none of them that we've noticed are taking this approach of like, how can we make a actively healthy product, not just sugar-free, but like really beneficial, really, really beneficial for your health plus sugar-free. Um, so do, so we do research on the entire digestive tract on the microbiota. We haven't come across ones that do this taste and health research together as much yet. So then what does success look like for Nomosu? What are the big, hairy, audacious goals, so to speak? <laughs> yeah, so um, we our vision is to really create an e- a safe, trusted ecosystem of sugar-free, basically. So you can go to a Nomosu product <clears throat> and you can go to a Nomosu ingredient. We're going to come out with an organic sweet mix that's a one-to-one replacement for sugar early next year, which you can use in baking and sweetening, etc., uh, so we want to provide to everyone's sweet occasions um, something that's actually adding value to your health and that tastes delicious. Um, so, so like the goal would be for um, uh, in the future everyone to have access to healthy sweetness in it, whether it be a finished product or an ingredient. And even in restaurants, we've worked with some Michelin-starred pastry chefs using our sweet mix, and they're like blown away by how it replicates the taste and texture of sugar. Um, we would love to be able to go to any restaurant and um, or retail restaurant um, and be able to have a sugar-free dessert that actually tastes amazing and, and is healthy. Um, so, so we really want to replace sugar globally. That's kind of like the the main hairy goal. <laughs> but um, yeah. <laughs> One step at a time. The point is like Nomosu as a brand is like somewhere you can go to trust. It's a lot of science has gone into making it taste really good and be health beneficial. I mean, I, that is an amazing goal. We are on a mission to replace sugar as we know it um, and make a sweet experience, something that's actually beneficial for your health. I can go along on that journey. Like I would also like to know that 
having a sweet treat is not a naughty thing or a, a, a reward. A sweet treat is something that I can have every day if I want to, as yes. long as it's the yes. right kind of sweet. Exactly. And then if you were to achieve your, you know, big, hairy, audacious goal, what what would be the impact, do you think, on people's health and the environment? Yeah, I I think that it is possible to reverse the trajectory of chronic disease right now. We have metabolic disease really still growing. Um, so that includes obesity, diabetes, um, excess cardiovascular disease due to diet. All of those diseases could start to come down mm-hmm. in terms of their growth rates. And, and that would save huge amounts of medical costs for countries um, and also personal costs for the individuals and for their families. So, so I think that's, that's like the sort of statistical <laughs> point of view is just reducing those numbers. Um, but also in terms of well-being and health, like I do, we do already get emails every week uh, from people we've never met who are buying our products and who are just writing to say how grateful they are because they never found something that really satisfied their sweet tooth. Uh, now they have something that really satisfies. It tastes delicious and and they just don't need to have that sugar in their life anymore. They, people with diabetes, people with other conditions where they can't have much sugar. So I'm already seeing that. And it's just like the personal stories are, are so fulfilling and the ramifications are huge. I really feel that most people, the one thing they can do to improve their health dramatically, like the low hanging fruit is really to reduce their sugar intake more than anything else, really. And then what's next for Nomosu? You mentioned that you're you're working on rolling out this sugar substitute that we can all use in our kitchens. Sweet mix. Sweet mix. Sweet mix. But do you have any plans to be in Asia in, um, in this part of the world? I would love to. I'm, I'm half Japanese as you know. Um, and so being in, in that particular country is, especially for me is, is special, but they are like just so perfectionistic about everything. I mean, we are as well, but in terms of like logistics, distribution, making sure we have enough supply, all that, like it needs to be perfectly dialed in before we we, we go there. <laughs> um, and then also it depends on where in Asia, but then temperature is a big thing for our current existing products. Our first line of products are chocolates. That's a, a big logistical challenge. But then the sweet mix, I think is interesting. I would love to help in Asia and, and also uh, the Middle East as well. Their diabetes rates are quite high there. Um, so, so we really would love to at least sell our, um, uh, temperature stable products there as soon as possible. Um, and then everything eventually too. So where can we buy Nomosu products at the moment? Yes. So at the moment, uh, we're selling in the United Kingdom, mainly in a retailer called Planet Organic, which is a retail chain of organic, uh, stores. And then also on our web shop, nomosu.com in the United Kingdom. And then in the U.S., uh, we're in a retail chain in California called Erwan Market, um, mainly in Los Angeles. Uh, then another retail chain in Texas called Central Market and another retail chain in Arizona called AJ's. <laughs> um, so those are like our main retail chains. We are working on getting our fulfillment company set up in the U.S. so that we can sell on our web shop in the U.S. and soon on Amazon in the U.K., EU and in the US as well. And we're about to launch in the Netherlands with Holland and Barrett um, Benelux, which is um, a big retail chain there. So yeah, we're growing and, uh, and, and managing the capital carefully because every time you launch with a big new chain or a new geography, it's like loads of costs. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, it's exciting. It sounds like you're in a really exciting place with Nomosu. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, Sakiko, for this conversation. It's been, it's been fascinating. And I've learned a lot 
firstly about just what sugar really is, mm. right? Because I don't think I thought about mm. it enough. I certainly didn't think that it was as bad for me as it is. And I now realize that whilst I thought I had a healthy diet, I am certainly eating far more sugar than I need to be. So thank you for this conversation and, and for all of the work that you're doing, trying to make us all healthier by replacing sweetness as we know it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much. If you want to find out more about what Nomosu is doing to change the face of sweetness, their website and their details are in the show notes. And if you're in the UK, you can also shop for Nomosu's products online. I'm actually looking forward to getting my hands on some soon because a friend is bringing me back some from a trip to London as we speak. And I'll be back in your ears with more stories of women building business purposefully in two weeks time. So bye for now. <laughs>